to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl. No mai, haere mai, kia ora, and welcome to Books and Beyond Literary Lounge with Alison and Enika, brought to you from our home studios. Kia ora, Enika. Kia ora, Alison. It's good to see you, um, even though we're on Zoom. Yeah, yes, always on Zoom. It's just the way it is now. <laughs> That's right. Well, look, Enika, I think most people would agree with me when I say that this year has been, it's been a really tough one, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. It has. I mean, we're still going through it. And, you know, that finish line of Christmas, it's it's a little bit temporal, you know. <laughs> we look forward to it, but we also don't know what else is coming. But let's yeah. do the best. But we're going to keep on keeping on. Now, um, speaking of, of um, tough times, I've just read a really inspirational New Zealand memoir about surviving really difficult times mm. in our lives. And um, it's called Still Standing, What I've Learned from a Life Lived Differently. And it's by a young woman called Jessica Quinn, um, published just published this year. So now it's available in hard copy and in Overdrive and Libby as an e-book. So 20-something New Zealander Jess Quinn, um, she's a brand ambassador and, and an advocate for normalising difference. She's a dancer and a model. And in her own words, she is quite literally a walking miracle. Because her body was... Um, has been completely restructured so that she could survive an aggressive childhood cancer. Um, Jess's leg was amputated when she was a very young child and she's worn a prosthetic leg ever since. Now, she's created a successful modelling career. She's got a, a huge following on social media and she competed on Dancing with Stars a, a few years ago where she did really well and danced beautifully using a blade it was just quite amazing in fact I really wanted her to win but I think she didn't quite win but she came out of it a winner amazing so a blade is the ones that um, you often see in the Olympics is it yeah that's Mm -hmm. right yeah oh she was just a beautiful dancer now she speaks a lot about body diversity um, as well as body positivity and she's got really strong messages about resilience and um, I reckon we can all learn a whole lot from her messages. Mm. So in the book um, if we go back about two decades um, to those first few years after her amputation Jess coped pretty well, all things considered. And she coped in that way that kids can cope with disability and difference if they've got a a supportive family and a a great school setting. Mm. But things became very tough for Jess when she was a teenager. And I guess this is really understandable. Um, She found that, um, that inability to be able to do anything spontaneously, like, you know, kick off your shoes and run along the beach, followed by a nudie swim or, you know, something like that with your your mates, as you do. Um, Going to the school ball and being able to wear beautiful high heels and 
the issues about looking different because um, the operation on her leg had been really groundbreaking because the surgeons were able to make her a new knee and to do that they used her own ankle. Um, It's incredible. Which is just amazing, yeah. But of course this caused problems for her as a teen because while she retained some function in her leg, which that was the aim mm. of of this groundbreaking um, surgery, she lost form um, mm-hmm. and she was terribly worried that her new leg looked unattractive. Oh. And it's just heart, it's heartbreaking to read this. So once she survived her teen years, things began to look up and, and she did appear to be thriving. Although, of course, we we can never know a person's private physical and emotional pain, no. Eh? Mm, mm. And um, she was beckoned or a, a modelling career in LA, beckoned Jess, wow. and it seemed as though life was going to be one filled with glitz, glamour, the red carpet, good health, you name it. Um, and this was just after she finished the Dancing with the Stars oh, competition. But, however, she had a number of major setbacks with her legs and she was often in terrible pain and unable to do many of the things she wanted to do, like dancing and running. And a lot of the time she couldn't even get out of bed. But, you know, Jess has a, a real remarkable way of talking about her pain and difficulties. And she's quite inspirational in her response to to these difficulties that have really beset her throughout much of her life. Her, she's got a great philosophy and it embraces the fact that none of us get to keep the body we're born in. And mm-hmm. to some extent, we all bear uh, battle scars that become part of our stories Mm, on the outside or the inside both both Mm. i would say yeah and um she's learned to change her narrative and be grateful for what she can do rather than focus on the negatives and when i read jess's words i really see an ability continuum at play here you know that line that goes from the concept of disability um, and it goes all the way along to that concept of possibility Mm. so i found this a really inspiring read with a a message of hope to all of us Uh, it's a real rich resource for the body diversity movement and i'm totally sure that jess is going to go on and she will achieve great things in her life and she's going to help so many others who may be struggling and um, the able-bodied community have so much to learn from the disability community. So I really commend her for writing this this memoir. It must have been really painful to write at times, but um, absolutely, what a great young woman. That really resonates with me, what you've said as well, Alison, that, you know, um, changing the narrative and being grateful for what you can do you know, rather than focusing on the negatives. I mean, that is definitely a message that we all need to take forward with us right now, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not an easy, not an easy thing to to do to achieve. You know, to accept that. It isn't. It isn't. Yeah, there's um there was a really good um anthology um called Disability Visibility, which came out last year, I think. That's right. Um, and featured on our top 100 list for 2020. And um, yes. yeah, I I would really recommend that 
book. It is an American book and uh, most of the um, contributors are American, but I'd really recommend that book as another way of, um, and I believe there was one published in Australia as well in the same year um, about growing up disabled in Australia. So yeah, this is, I'm, I'm really pleased to see that this is an area of publishing that is starting to rise and, and, and take its place um, where yes. it needs to be. It's rightful place, and it's all part of that own voice um, type of writing, isn't it? And reading that that our readers are really wanting wanting to consume. Absolutely. Well, I have had a book. Um, I have had a week of. Um, I finished off my very long read of last week called "The Prophets." That you might remember, I was about halfway oh, yes. through. Well, uh, so that took up quite a lot of my week, um, but instead I decided to jump into some sh- really, really short reads. So the first one that I want to recommend um, that you all read is called All Systems Read by Martha Wells. Now, this is um, a little novella published in 2017. It's available in our adult fiction collection and it's on Overdrive as an ebook and an e-audio book. Now, the, um, some of the copies are really in demand, but the e-audiobook I noticed has um, lots of copies available, maybe around 40 at the moment oh, wow. uh, out of 50. Yeah, and um, maybe people don't realize that it's actually a very, very quick listen. So it's only 130 pages or so. So it's a sort of one that you could listen to in one session on a weekend or in a couple of car trips. Um, yeah, really advise that if you like the sound of this book after I've told you about it, that you jump in and grab that e-audiobook. Um, now, so my book is about a sick unit, not a sex unit, Alison, a sick unit. <laughs> oh, that's another book. It, <laughs> it yeah. is another book. I'll tell you about that next week. Um, yeah. Now, a sick unit is a corporate security cyborg. Now, this sick unit has been contracted, so just putting it out there, it's a sci-fi book, um, has been contracted uh-huh. as a security detail for a team of scientists. Now, our team of scientists are surveying and analysing a far-flung territory and they're surveying it um, in order to get information prior to bidding for the rights to the land and its resources on behalf of their non-profit organisation. Now, the SEC unit um, is there on a government contract, but they're no government shill at all. They've actually managed to hack their own system so they no longer automatically obey human orders or their own pre-programmed um, software, I suppose, as telling them what to do. Um, they've decided to lay low, and you'll notice that I'm using the word they, they are um, non-gendered mm. um, as a cyborg, and um, they're actually do, doing only the bare minimum of tasks that they've been contracted to do. They're spending most of their time plugged into their media streams, uh, including their favourite serial soap operas and, uh-huh. and manga and all different sorts of content. And um, that all sounds quite familiar at the moment. <laughs> Haven't been in lockdown for a while. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was going to say it reminds me of someone I know, whose <laughs> <laughs> name I won't mention. <laughs> Um, they're hiding in their little um, in their cabin where they recharge and um, they're trying to avoid eye contact with the humans at all costs (laughs) now they call themselves Murderbot and um, we'll find out why later in the book I'm not going to tell you here Um, now, an unexpected hazard is on this planet um, in the form of a large toothy monster that leaps out of a crater at the scientists when they are doing their um, their collection of 
of, I don't know, samples, I suppose. Now, this is right on page two. You you really do have to get straight into the action when there's only 130 pages yeah. to, um, to get it all <laughs> over and done with. Now, the SIG unit has to act and do what they're paid for at this point, um, and they managed to save two of the crew members, um, actually two crew members, the other ones were all somewhere else. Um, in the aftermath of the attack, it actually becomes clear that not only are they not alone on the territory with this toothy monster, there's actually other vested parties um, on the territory and they're starting to use nefarious means, though both techy kind of techy tricks and violent um, um, ends in order to try and take the scientists' crew out of the bidding and actually take them out completely. So this is a sci-fi, it's a mystery thriller um, and it's actually also a really absorbing and accessible um, look at android-human relations. Mm-hmm. So you, it's from the perspective of Murderbot, who is part human, part android, and they're struggling to suppress the human side for their own reasons, which become apparent later. And it also looks at their, their kind of growing relationship with the various human crew members, which is quite reluctant, really, and it's quite, quite complicated. Um, it won the 2018 Hugo and Nebula Awards for Best Novella. So those are the, some of the top flight um, sci-fi awards, uh, literary awards, and lots of others. And it was a New York Times bestseller, which is really not bad for a very, very small book. Yes. Um, the character arc of the murder book, um, is really interesting, but it's going to leave you wanting more just when you're getting really intrigued and invested. Um, but luckily, this novella is number one of four in the Murderbot Diaries novella series. So this is the one that kicks it off. Um, you go through the four, and there's also two full-length Murderbot novels which follow the novellas chronologically, and I think that the series continues after that, is continuing after that too. So if you like the sound of it, do dive in, search Murderbot on our um, catalogue, or Martha Wells. She also writes um, fantasy as well as sci-fi. Now, um, the All Systems Read by Martha Wells is published by the renowned science fiction and fantasy-focused publishing house Tor Books. Now, they've been running since the 1980s, and if you're not um, familiar with this genre or this publisher, um, they offer a really broad platform for new and established writers in those genres to get their work out quickly and in front of um, their rabid fan bases. You know, we, we know that sci-fi and fantasy readers are some of our most our biggest borrowers in yes. terms of what they consume, so which is awesome. They are really passionate about their reading. Um, now, Tor Books has published new editions of older classics by authors like Philip K. Dick, um, Orson Scott Card, um, for both adults and for teen readers. So they've done like adapted versions for teens, graphic novels and things like that. And also Robert Jordan, who you might have seen back in the headlines um, with his, there's a big budget screen adaption of his Wheel of Time saga, which is just about to launch on Amazon Prime streaming service, um, I think the end of this month or possibly just this week might have come yeah, out. Yeah, there's a lot of excitement about that. Eh? Yes, there is. <laughs> And they also represent a lot of newer authors um, who have hit the big time in recent years. So people like Adrian Tchaikovsky and um, Catherine M. Valenti. Um, if you go to um, the, the Tor Books website, you'll find there's a huge archive of short stories, um, excerpts from longer, longer novels and essays by lots of new and established authors. It's all free for read. They're really passionate about um, accessibility. So they actually yes. offer their books for 
digital rights management free, which is really interesting for a, from a library's perspective, maybe not so much from a reader's perspective. <laughs> but it does yeah. mean there's a lot of great content that they offer. It's um, good, aren't they? In really good. Really good. So really committed to open source. Um, and they also print and publish a lot of these short pieces as novellas. So you can find them in our libraries on the shelves and you'll find them on Overdrive too. So if you're really interested in this side or you haven't, you want to dive in and try some little bits of sci-fi, fantastic sci-fi, but in a short package, go on the catalog and search Tor Books and see what you see what you find. Yeah. Um, Great, I, and that's Tor, spelled T-O-R oh, as yes. well. I Sorry, I should have said that. Yeah. Yes. Um, I can also recommend one I read about a month ago called The Future Library by Ping Shepherd, which you'll find on Overdrive. Now, this um, is based on a real-life art project called The Future Library, where a forest has actually been planted in Norway with 100 trees, and there's a selection of amazing authors have been asked to submit a brand new and secret manuscript for archiving. They're going to archive these manuscripts for 100 years and then the, they will um, chop down the trees in the forest and publish each one on the tree that relates to that book. But hard to describe on the paper that comes from those trees. <laughs> that is huge, isn't it? It's huge. Yeah. And so if you read The Future Library by Ping Shepherd, he's, um, they've taken that step a little bit further in the book and it's absolutely beautiful to, um, to see what they've done with that concept of a true, of a real life art project. Yeah, highly recommend oh, that one too. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that blows my mind. Well, <laughs> look, um, thanks for that. Now, look, I've still been on Struggle Street this week with my, my reading. Um, <laughs> so the next one that I, I've just about finished and I'm loving it, um, it's a book about trials and tribulations and um, it's a story about Greek migrants to Australia uh, during and after World War Two, and it's called Luckies by a writer called Andrew Pippos and it's available in hard copy in our adult fiction section and also as an Overdrive Libby ebook. but as well as that it's available as um, an e-audio book on the platform called Borrowbox mm. um, so hot tip for our readers for those of you who are familiar with Overdrive and Libby ebooks and e-audio why not branch out and try Borrowbox? Um, it's a platform that um, possibly isn't as well known as Overdrive, but it does tend to hold Australian and New Zealand titles mm. along with American ones as well. And so it's got some, an app too, hasn't it? So that's very easy right. to use. It's really easy and it's got some great titles mm. on it. So now the book Luckies has recently won a heap of literary awards in Australia and I'm not surprised. It is so good. So its author, Andrew Pippos, is of Greek heritage. Um, now he grew up in Sydney and he talks about childhood memories of being underfoot at the family's bustling restaurant. <laughs> Can you imagine having a kid underfoot when you're trying to run a, a restaurant? So now Lucky's it's a it's a love letter to the Greek diaspora who found themselves in Australia in and around the Second World War. And what a terrible culture shock waited for them when they arrived in Australia. Mm -hmm. So Lucky's a it's a multi-generational family saga set around a restaurant chain in post-war Sydney. Now, the book centres on the character of Lucky Melios, uh, an American-born clarinet-playing Greek 
man who finds himself in wartime Australia escaping military service by impersonating the jazz clarinet player Benny Goodman <laughs> to to those gullible oafs of colonial Australia. <laughs> so somehow he gets away with this impersonation trick. Well, he gets away with it until he doesn't, and then he becomes a cropper, actually. But... Um, Poor old Lucky, he comes into some money and um, he uses this money to set up a successful franchise of cafe diners, the type of which were really popular in Australia in the 1950s and 60s. And um, this this style of diner was the Greek Australian cafe. Um, you can picture it with its gleaming checkerboard floors, jukebox, soda fountain. And um, this cafe forms the backdrop and a real vivid touchstone to Australia's post-war era when the influence of en- en- those enterprising migrant families really began to leave an enduring mark on the culture of modern Australia. The uh, Greek diners were in every suburb and country town of Australia and they were a real salute to America and Americana with booth, those booths with the shiny plastic, um, <laughs> do you call it upholstery? I don't, it was often red. Yeah. yeah. Red and shiny and had soda fountains and the cafes were named like, uh, had names like the Niagara or the Californian mm-hmm. and they played such an important role in the that casual dining landscape of Australia before, sadly, they were overtaken by the pub counter meals. Sure. So, and these Greek diners were the place that many Anglo-Australians actually had their first encounters with Southern European cuisine. Mm. So now the novel is set in um, a bunch of different time periods and it follows characters who really have their fate linked with the mini dining empire called Lucky's. And Lucky himself, the character, follows a a classically tragic arc um, rising from his triumph of um, the 1950s before his arrogance really leads to quite a fall in the 1990s. And there's another Greek family that's headed by their patriarch called Achilles. And this family's lives are decimated because of his toxic ambitions and his inability really to to read emotions in others. He was a man who could never read the room. Mm. And then there's Emily in the 2000s, um, a young British journalist who's trying to find out how and why her family is intertwined with this chain of cafes. Um, Emily's a novelist who's become a reporter. And her journey journey overlaps with Lucky's in quite a traumatic way. Um, Many of the characters are toxic men who are abound by this sort of southern European pride and masculinity. Mm-hmm. But the, the book's a universal tale. It's a family saga that also dips into different genres, both romance and forensic crime. Mm. And then, of course, we get to the food, which is just mouthwatering. Now, um, the um project of multiculturalism was sold to Australians with the promise of a diverse 
cuisine um, that the you know the post Second World War migrants settler migrants would bring wonderful food with them, mm-hmm. and um, they really did. And Australian culture has has benefited from the its multicultural cuisine. Um, now, Lucky's the book. It's um, it really speaks to this time, um, the promise and hope of the hope of what the new arrivals would contribute to the cultural fabric of the nation, and food is often that binding factor in a diverse and cosmopolitan society. But in this book, food we find is also a weapon. So the the novel really prompts us to have conversations about how a diaspora settles into a new country and and what tools it uses for settlement. Mm. It's a monument and a love letter to the Greek diaspora. It's heartwarming. It's evocative. Um, It encapsulates all those elements of family drama, true crime and Greek tragedy. I just loved it and I highly recommend it. Oh, I can't wait for this one. It's been on my radar for a while and it's on my huge holds list. So maybe it'll come through for Christmas. Hopefully. Hopefully. (laughs) I think you'll love it. (laughs) Well, for those of you who might have set yourself a reading goal for the year and you'll know that the deadline is, of course, fast approaching with December on its way. Um, We know reading's not a race, but, you know, it's kind of nice to have a challenge every now and again. (laughs) I was saying to Alison that um, last year I set myself a goal of 50 books, you know, thinking, oh, one book a week seems doable. And um, I did manage to hit about 60, which I was very proud of. So this year I set it at 60 and I managed to hit that in October, you wouldn't believe. Well done. Uh, I think it's the lockdown. The lockdown weekends really are the yeah. thing. Thank you for that. And the other thing I think that's helped is I got into thrillers a bit more for the first time, and that I think has really sped up my reading rate. It does really help if you can't put your book down. <laughs> you just got yeah. to like eat it all up in one or two sessions. Absolutely. And I think all that rainy weather has has helped as well. True. Um, now, I was going to say that I've recently um, – taken part in the Overdrive Big Library Read. Um, now, this is a, a global ebook club that runs three times a year. And each time it runs, it runs for two weeks. Oh, yeah. um, and everyone who takes part in one of these Big Library Reads gets a copy of the ebook at the same time. So there's no waiting around to get hold of the copy. And the, there's a website called biglibraryread.com and you can join in the discussion about the book. Mm. Um, so now this year's, or this month's, sorry, this quarter's, whatever I'm saying, yeah. um, Big Library Read was a book called Five Total Strangers by um, an author called Natalie Richards. Now it was published in 2020. It's available um, in hard copy, but also in Overdrive and Libby as an e-book and an e-audio book. Now, look, this one was actually a teen novel, but I didn't realise that when I was reading it because it's one of those crossover books. It could actually sit in the adult fiction quite easily. Um, Now, um, just sort of quickly give you a rundown of it. Um, Five Total Strangers is a a thriller about a road trip and it's set in a winter blizzard in Pennsylvania. So getting home for the Christmas holidays turns into a nightmare for five total strangers. Mm. 
So, um, great page turner. Our main character, Mira, is a young woman who's been living in San Diego with her dad while um, attending a prestigious art school. But now that it's Christmas Eve, all she wants to do is get home to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and to her mum's house. But a blizzard may just thwart her, thwart her plans. Mm. And so, but and this is sort of thing happens in America at Christmas. So during a stopover at an airport on the East Coast, Mira learns that every flight out has been cancelled due to a terrible winter snowstorm. But luckily, Mira's seatmate Harper offers her a ride in her rental car, along with three other stranded passengers. They're all college-age kids, Brick and Kayla and Josh. But Mira is uneasy about this from the start. Mm-hmm. You know, accepting a ride with strangers, it's often not a good idea. Um, but she's desperate to get home. Um, and the snarled traffic forces them to resort to risky side routes in this rental car. Mira Ooh, has this great... Up. <laughs> yes, she's... Um, it is, it's a, a great deal of tension she knows something is wrong um but she wants to get home so the question is would you get in a rental car with four perfect strangers (laughs) in the middle of winter in the middle of nowhere yeah what would you do that's a really good setup it is. Now, look, it was a um, complete page turner. I just um, raced through it. It was a quick read, and we like that. And I think um, it was really a good read for lockdown. I found that I didn't really have to do any heavy lifting mm-hmm. with the book. You know, I just went along for the ride, so to speak, as they say. Um, Look, critics have said that there were aspects of the book that were quite thin. um, But, look, it's a book that does what it says on the tin. It gives you a great ride and a few frights. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, when we're in uncertain and stressful times, I think sometimes it's quite good to read something that actually doesn't ask too much of you as a reader. So I enjoyed being part of the Big Library Read, part of that great community activity. Oh, awesome. That sounds really good. Yeah, look, it was a great deal of fun. Well, now, look, we're running out of time. Um, I know we had more that we could have talked about today, but we'll do that next week. So that's a wrap. That's all she wrote uh, for this week. So to our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in today. Take care and be kind to yourself.